This episode is brought to you by our friends at FB Autosport. There's nothing worse than spending your race weekend under your car missing sessions because you were too swamped to get everything done in time. Whether it's car prep, new car builds, or arrive and drive, FB Autosport has you covered for Time Attack, GLTC, or WRL. They even have cars you can rent now while you put the finishing touches on your latest race car project. Reach out to Rob at FB Autosport now and tell him that Slip Angle sent you to get your project car finished and get back on track. Hey, what's going on, man? Hey, Thursday Adam. night. It's, uh, it's Just, 9.30 uh, on a Thursday night. Uh, it's only 8.30. You're wrong. It's 6.30. <laughs> man, we got too many time zones. Uh, we got, we got uh, Matt Busby on the show, which I wasn't sure if he'd ever been on. Abe says he's been on twice. Now I'm sure we've done too many podcasts because I've completely forgotten. Everything. So, um, anyway, uh, yeah, it's six thirty where Matt is. So, we could definitely do a four-hour show if we wanted to. So. The last time Matt was on the um, show, he was the track manager for NCM Motorsports Park in Kentucky, uh, just a couple of hours from where I now live. And now Matt Busby lives dozens of hours away from where I live. <laughs> Multiple dozens. Yeah. Fine Willows, um, Thunder Hill. Yeah. Thunder yeah. Hill. What's Thunder Hill like today? Uh, Thunder Hill is a 30 year establishment. We are celebrating our 30 year anniversary this year. Um, okay. Early 90s. The West Coast car culture, and especially West Coast track culture, is in a lot of ways the same, but in uh, certain ways, especially from a financial, hey, we run a racetrack standpoint, very different. In that, um, you know, in other other places, you know, we're trying to convince people to uh, rent our racetrack on Tuesdays. And here we have a problem with people like, hey, um, I don't have any Tuesdays to rent you. Would you take a Wednesday in July? So it's really yeah, it's it's really strange. We so we rented we we count surfaces by days, right? So there's the um, uh, the the total facility. We have two skid pads and two racetracks that can combine to a five mile racetrack, um, but we count mm-hmm. days by uh, surface. So uh, the two skid pads and the two racetracks is four surfaces, and the four surfaces are rented about six hundred days a year. Wow, pretty good. It seems pretty solid. We're, but the the culture and the um, especially like the price, it's kind of crazy how much people are paying for like an HPD or a time attack or something like that here compared to the middle of the country. Um, I think there's a couple of events coming up where um, a two day event, I want to say, is uh, uh, 295 bucks, which blows my mind. Um, that's well, crazy. Too. That's because racetracks can make their money uh, spread out over the course of the year rather than on, you know, like Maybe. Yeah. four, uh, you know, two dozen weekends over the course of the summer. That's yeah, probably part of it. Um, the, the it, it, area. It, seems, it seems to me that, it, yeah, like the Bay Area is not that, though. Like Laguna and Sonoma are not that. No, it's very, I don't know. It's really weird, man. The, the way this whole thing like shakes out, like Laguna and Sonoma have their own like business cases and the way that they operate and everything like that. And then Thunder Hill just kind of found its way in the, Hey, we're going to be the grassroots place. And we have no aspirations of being anything other than the grassroots place. And we're perfectly fine with that. And it's a Willow's the business. same thing. Yeah. 
Yeah, the Willow, Willow uh, Springs uh, and all of its facilities are probably pretty identical in price. And uh, yeah, there's definitely a market case for it. Like that, it seems to work. So, yeah. But I just got a track rental contract finalized finally for Laguna today. Yay. And it's not it's not cheap. <laughs> so, it's the I think it's the most we ever paid for a facility. So. They're very proud of the place. You say that every single here. time we rent a track. Like every year no, we go to someplace new and you're like, man, that's this is the most expensive track we've ever been to. Well, if I say that, it's because it is. <laughs> but like, I paid less. I paid less for my house. <laughs> But like, are you doing entry math, right? Like, so, okay, holy moly, that's a yeah, really yeah, big yeah. number. How many entries do I need? All right, how many paid? How many, you know, all right, now I need some sponsor help. Yeah. Like, it's it's tough, man. It's tough doing this kind of stuff. Yeah, the with uh, with Laguna specifically, like, it's going to be a full force effort festival. So, like, the production budget's going to be real high. A lot of effort, a lot of people. Um, but that track also, like, brings it brings spectators out historically to non-pro events too. So, um, and there's also a lot of buzz for grid life in California, which is great. We have a ton of California listeners on Slip Angle as well. It's like our biggest, I think it's our biggest state. It's our biggest demo. The car culture there is. Hey, California. Yeah, the car culture there is nuts. So, So, like, it it may be perception, but you're kind of like validating some of the perceptions that I've had. So, um, Mm -hmm. in New Orleans, in Kentucky, there was a lot of time and a lot of bandwidth that was used in convincing people or trying to, like, educate people that. Um, getting onto a racetrack is not difficult or, you know, it's, it's pricey, but it's not obscenely, you know, expensive where you have to have like some Ferrari or some, you know, yeah, it's, it's here, money. Yeah. It's yeah. part of the culture. People just know track days are a thing and car culture is a thing. Like to the point yeah. where like golf courses are chasing us, not the other way around, which blows my mind. Yeah. That's wild. Uh, you look at like Willow Springs is, I think, one of the oldest fa- oldest permanent facilities in the country, and it's so close to LA, um, and it hasn't changed in like 60, 60, 60 years probably, like seventy years. I don't know. It's been a yeah. long time. Uh, so, so it's so ingrained, and also it's probably always been cheap, versus like. I you know, think you couldn't right. do a DE at Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Like Indianapolis Motor Speedway had no DEs. <laughs> so we're um, like, we've got a super tour, an SCCA super tour event coming up, and a four day yeah. entry is now six or uh, five ninety five, and people are complaining, "Oh man, that's so expensive!" And I'm like, "Holy crap, four days for six hundred bucks? That's so cheap!" You know, dude. Like in 2015, which is a long time ago in car world. I was paying like six seventy five for two day super tours at Road Atlanta. That's crazy. Like, big, yeah, that was a long time, eight years ago. <laughs> so, yeah. So, anyway, well, you've done some things. Uh, what have What have you all done? And how did you get in this world, Matt? You did Nola things and NCM things, and now Thunder Hill things. And what else was before that in the middle? So uh, I. Uh, originally from New Orleans, and uh, I was part, uh, I, I had a little uh, IT LLC um, 
that mostly did like um, desktop support, uh, network infrastructure, um, you know, exchange server like rollouts where, you know, a law firm or an accounting firm is going to pay us to put it in a new exchange server and everything. We're like our money makers. Um, And uh, there was a lot of rumors and a lot of buzz around NOLA getting built. And so on a whim, because I was the race day. Yeah. on a whim and I was bored one day, I drove out to the site and um, tried to find somebody to, hey, hey, look, I'd love to be able to provide your networking and desktop support and all that kind of fun stuff and try to try to find a new customer. And, uh, you know, it was one of those things where it was like exactly the right thing at exactly the right time where like, oh, perfect. We just got out of a meeting talking about that. Can you tell us what this, this, this and this would cost? Uh, and it ended hmm. up you know, we, we put a bid in for the network, the PA system, um, you know, a lot of things. And we ended up getting the bid, uh, which worked out. And uh, NOLA Motorsports Park, if people, you know, people, there's no reason for people to know this, but there's like 10 miles of conduit underneath the NOLA Motorsports Park. There's a double redundant fiber uh, network backbone with uh, on top of a double redundant wireless point to point uh, network. So it's it's insane, insanely overbuilt IT. When was that built? When was that done? 2010. Uh, yeah, I, I thought it was about that, yeah. first events in 2011. Um, and so, you know, we build the whole thing and we get it all up and running and, and, um, uh, it comes time to where like, okay, the job's over. What do we do? And I find, um, a good friend of mine now, Wes, who is the, I think he's somebody, he's really high up at USAC now, which is good for him. Uh, really good dude. And I say, Hey, look, I'm done. He, who do I train on how to work all this because this isn't just like hey it just works like somebody needs to know how to constantly maintain all this who who do i hand the keys over to and um they're like yeah we don't really have that um do you <laughs> want to do it and so yeah. uh for it, for, it sounds for an awful lot like my uh, uh my way into the grid life motorsports team actually pretty similar <laughs> That's awesome. I, I also had a meeting. I had a meeting with Wes uh, during uh, PRI. He's uh, seems like a really brilliant dude. <laughs> he is hands down the smartest human being I've ever met in my entire life. Yeah, he seems he's a fascinating dude. Yeah, overly positive, yeah. which highly intelligent, overly positive people scare me. Um, yeah. But it, it, it was one of those deals where, um, hey, we don't have anybody, and I said, okay, yeah. Um, at the time we were just coming off of the BP oil spill and we were billing for like 150, $160 an hour. And so I was making pretty good money and they're like, yeah, we can pay you $15 an hour. Um, and I don't know why I said, yes. I said, yeah, sure. I'll take a huge pay cut and come work at a racetrack. Uh, and from there, after about two weeks, I moved from just doing it to doing it and safety barrier and helping run cart races and, uh, everything under the sun, like, uh, any kind of motorsports uh, person who makes our living doing this. We do a lot of things. Yeah. Uh, after that's that, a, that's, yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a rapid, that's a rapid entry into it yeah <laughs> uh after that um i worked for um our the gm at nola uh for the first couple of years was uh, mitch wright 
um, who's uh, got a long storied history in motorsports going back to the 60s. Um, he came up to Bowling Green, Kentucky for the National Corvette Museum and said, hey, we're building a racetrack up here. I need an ops guy. Do you want to come interview? Um, and I didn't kind of realize it in the moment, but uh, for my interview, instead of traveling up there and staying at a hotel, I stayed at Mitch's house. So it's like, hey, I have to interview with you tomorrow, but I'm staying at your house and we're going to eat ice cream and watch racing movies the night before. And I was super nervous, like, man, I I hope I get this job, not thinking about like all the context around it Um, and ended up getting the job up there uh, and was the operations slash general manager there for nine years uh, and then left there last September to move here to Willows, California to be the general manager and take over as CEO of Thunderhill. Man, looking at uh, looking at that California life, uh, do you like it out there a little more or <laughs> like where's your favorite place? Um, y- you know, I think you always miss home and I think you always miss yeah. home just because it's comfortable. Um, I really do like it up in her up here in Northern California. It's, it's more of a farming community where we're at. And so like the boogeyman things about living in California, like real estate prices or taxes or whatever, it, it, it's really not all that bad. It's actually cheaper so far. It's cheaper to live here in Northern California than it was in Bowling Green from a, like a utilities and everything like that. Standpoint. And there's so, probably less tornadoes. Uh, uh, a little bit. There's probably not <laughs> we, more tornadoes. Yeah. We, we've had we've had one and snow since I've moved here. So all of the California stereotypes did not hold up for the first six months of me living. I don't here. know if you actually moved. You might not have moved to California. You might be somewhere else. <laughs> yeah. Um, the, the, no, uh, it, sorry, we, we got the three-way delay going on. Um, the, the NOLA thing, how long were you in NOLA? And like like how do how much were you into cars before you got into racetrack management like um like so where, where at, were you at as an enthusiast i, I was at nola for five years ish okay. um prior to that so my um my dad raced motorcycles uh like flat track and stuff like that and um my stepdad was super into it um we had a a bunch of cars that came in and out of the house when I was a kid. Um, and then I was really fortunate to be around, um, like carts and formula cars and SCCA. I had my, uh, I got my SCCA membership when I was like 10 or 11. Oh, that's uh, awesome. so, so I've kind of been around it for a long time to where it's, it's just been this like aspirational thing. Like, Hey, you don't, you don't race to like unwind. You work to make money to go racing. And that was kind of the mindset, even from like a little kid. And, uh, so to be able to make my living at it, um, is a big relief because I don't have to get a real job. Yeah. That's wild. Well, I'm glad you didn't come into it and be like, I don't know what a car is, but the, the, so we were at NOLA one time, um, in 2020, and that was long after you had been there. Um, I was blown away with the scale of the place. Like it was so wild. What was the building of that place like? Like, like what was the goal? And like, I, I know the family that built it comes from like a big international shipping background. They have some funding and stuff, but like, yeah, what was the goal? And why did that place get built? Like it's so over the top in so many ways. 
originally, I think that place, um, there were a few things that were kind of working against NOLA Motorsports Park from the get-go. Um, but originally, it was um, a family, uh, the Schwess, uh, Laney Schwest is the guy who owns it, still owns it to this day, um, and his lovely wife, uh, wife Miss Ruth. Um mm-hmm. They uh, wanted a fun place like the, there's a big Ferrari community in New Orleans. And they originally, I think the idea was, hey, I want to build a racetrack and I want to have a chain link fence and I want to have a padlock and I want to give keys to my friends that can open the padlock and go under the racetrack whenever they want and leave <laughs> and somebody i'm pretty sure it was west told him hey that's crazy um you can't do that um but we can make it's, a build yeah. you know, business out of this you know it's much more than that like it's so much more like they built so much more involved they built such a facility it's so big and it seems like it's like jumped up and down in terms of like levels of interest by the ownership maybe but or like we saw it right after a hurricane too. <laughs> I, I think that was the, the, Hey, Hey, we, we learn from our mistakes kind of thing. I think yeah. the mistakes that we learned from uh, the first year, year and a half, uh, NOLA started as a membership only racetrack. Right. Okay. Um, yep. And then it's a, Oh, Hey, we're not getting the membership dues and, and the membership revenue that we need to make this place survive. We should also be renting the racetrack. So, you know, Hey, that's pretty common. I think Autobahn's, you know, a great example of that where they have a really successful membership program and a really successful rental program. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and the rental wasn't really doing it combined with the membership thing. And, um, and then there was a few, uh, we, we actually, I was part of the team that put on the AMA pro race and that AMA pro race before it was Moto America went extremely well to the point where, Hey, look, we, we need to start talking about hosting more pro races. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was, um, that was met with the usual, um, hey, there are some people who are super on board with it and there are some people who aren't uh, internally to where, hey, look, this is a really – pro racing is a really, really, really hard business to make work. Uh, and um, ultimately, the, hey, let's go pro racing people won out and uh, we hosted an IndyCar race and the Rotax Grand Finals, which for folks who are not karting people, the Rotax Grand Finals is the Olympics of karting. It's the largest karting event in the world, and the only time it's been hosted in North America was at NOLA Motorsports Park, and uh, yeah, I had Germans yelling at me for two weeks about our IT infrastructure. It was a lot of fun. Really? Um, uh, But we did the pro racing In a good way or a bad way? Because we just talked about how awesome all the infrastructure was in a um in a they wanted it to work exactly the way they were you you know this is a racetrack thing right so like there are those people who go to racetracks that, hey, if this doesn't fit inside the box that I am used to operating in, it doesn't work. Not yeah. that it could work. It's, hey, I don't recognize this as working. So I'm going to just say this doesn't work. I want it to operate the way I want it to operate. Yeah. And um, Germans are very strong in their their delivery. Yeah. Uh, you you texted us last week after we or earlier this week after we put out a podcast talking about, you know, just. Like there's that dude at a racetrack always who's like, well, this is how I operate my racetrack. <laughs> right. <laughs> so and, it's, and like, what? it's, yeah, you got to move in and like become uh, like a, you know, a spouse of this person. Uh, and I imagine it's even that way in cart world. That cart track is phenomenal, by the way. <laughs> 
Oh, seriously, it's it's the Nola Motorsports Park cart facility. It's to unreal. Create it would be fifteen million dollars. It's it's the best cart facility in the country. It's also enormous. Like it's so big. Um, yeah, it's the long the longest configure. I think we counted. There's like ninety one different potential configurations. Yeah, yeah. And the longest configuration is one point three miles. Yeah, it's it's an it's it's probably what like a thousand feet by a thousand feet. Like it's real big. And and then yeah, it's got so many options. It's pretty cool. Like it, I was really I, I was. That was such a weird time too. That was like kind of a transition time for Grid Life, where we're like, I guess we're doing this for real. SEMA got canceled. Dennis, who was the previous manager of NOLA, had been texting me for a solid year, and he was like, "Let's do it right now." And we're like, "All right, I guess we're doing an event." Um, we threw it together kind of last minute, but also like it turned into a pretty big event. We had a couple thousand spectators, and like it was pretty wild. Um, the place was so big though. Like there was so much to like, it, it, it's a, it's a very unique facility. It was you, the you most pavement five, I've ever seen. Yeah. You could put 5,000 people there and the place still look empty. Easy. Yeah. Yeah. We had a few thousand spectators and we're like, I, we also had like 800 ComEd or utility trucks there. Cause they were trying to rebuild new Orleans like two weeks after a week after a hurricane. Um, it was a it was a, it was a really fun and memorable weekend. Sidebar for um, Busby, uh, ComEd is the power and utility company from Chicago. So Chicago. If you didn't make that connection. That's why I said that's why I said utility trucks. <laughs> yeah, I've lived in Chicago a long time, sir. Um, but yeah, a bunch of like giant amount of trucks every morning at six a.m. would rumble out. Um, and then come back at like 7 p.m. And we were, we, we threw a three day pretty good party there. Actually, we had, we had all the things that we did and we even had a live stream and it was pretty cool. We even had drift, we had a drift competition on the, uh, on the cart track at night, but it ended up raining that night, but it was still pretty, it was still pretty fun. It was our only drift competition that we've ever done too. So. Oh, that's um, awesome. And the no drift guys like Kim and Debo and, and, uh, and all them that, good group of human beings right there yeah we had a ton of drivers i couldn't believe how fast that track was too like it, it's a fast track uh yeah, the drifters it, like the drifters in the s's uh there was like three of them that were like absolutely shredding the s's and it was kind of terrifying <laughs> that's yeah. awesome yeah uh, i kind of wish i was there but i i, I think N- nola is a really good case study in um uh location is everything and your market is everything right so um the the southern southern louisiana has some weird socioeconomic things that are going on there's like a really really big divide between like the air quotes have and have nots there's not a really big middle class there um and then the folks that have disposable time and disposable income, there's such a culture built around fishing, hunting, the New Orleans Saints and LSU football that mm-hmm. that encompasses a lot of people's time and money to where we were trying to sell people on the hot rotting idea, right? Like, hey, you can do fun things with your car that isn't street racing. And that takes a lot of time, bandwidth, and money. So the initial years, and I I don't know, I I genuinely hope that Nola's 
past this stage, the initial years, there was a lot of, hey, we have to pull from Southern Texas, Houston, Mississippi, Alabama, and yep. really tap into really that barber market. And if, you know, barber is such an incredible place. So convincing people to say, hey, I'm going to skip a barber weekend to drive to New Orleans and do a New Orleans weekend, you know, it, it it's a process and, and it's, it takes time. And I think if, if we're honest internally, we underestimated the hurdle that, um, that what that was, you know? Yeah, it was definitely a weird location. Um, a lot of our drivers are like, I've never been there, but that sounds right. Let's do it. And they came out, um, like the average driver drove like eight hours. It was so far and people loved the weekend. Uh, but then we had also gotten a really decent price. And then the next time we got a quote for the price, it had doubled and we had barely broken even because we had put a lot of money into the infrastructure of the event, et cetera. But, um, yeah, it was a it was a great experience. I would love to go back. We we'll probably will someday. Like the, I, I hear the repave is pretty pretty rad too. Um, the covered grid was my favorite thing, dude. The covered dude. pit lane. So I try to tell everybody that like the single like you know a lot of racetracks and racetrack operators have to yeah. think in the in the revenue generating. Like, hey, if I'm gonna make a capital outlay how do i make it make money for me right. and the single thing that i don't know how you justify the spend but it is the single like greatest thing is that covered pit lane in new orleans it's it awesome. might have been the coolest thing i've ever seen at a racetrack <laughs> like it's you're just awesome. it was the sun is beating down on you and you just like stood in grid and you're like this is the best <laughs> this thing is Dude. like i don't know five six hundred feet long and like 50 feet wide it was the best it was literally the best. <laughs> so that that's an Alan Wilson special right there. So thermal yeah. got one barber, I think originally was supposed to have one. I, I don't know. It, it It's incredible. Incredible. So I didn't actually know that that was an Alan Wilson track. We've been talking about those tracks a bunch because we were just at CMP. Um, but uh, that makes, that does explain a bunch about the feel of it. I drove a couple of sessions that weekend in a, in a Sunday cup fit. But yeah, it definitely feels a little bit Alan Wilson-y. But that's a brilliant idea. It's such a brilliant idea. And, and so like on your initial build, right? So like if I have any any advice to those who are building racetracks, right? Like the first, the build up to, to the, the building of a racetrack in the first year, like the purse strings are wide open. Like, hell yeah, we're going to make this awesome. We're going to spend all this money. And, and it's a movie I've seen a handful of times is like, we get a year worth of operation and we start seeing the revenue numbers and, and then the brakes just like full ABS stop, like, whoa, 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 whoa. We're not making any money. Stop yeah. spending right now. So if you're going to build a racetrack, spend all your money on the front end because the reality is, is pretty painful. This yeah. is not different to like anything in the corporate world either, right? Like uh, there are times where capital spend is approved and if it's approved, spend it because if yeah. you wait any longer than that, you probably won't get it. Yeah, uh, there's, there, there is something about that particular, like if it wasn't for that covered grid, like it was a breezy weekend, but it was sunny. Like it was so sunny, uh, except for when it rained at night on some one time. But it was so like the sun was oppressive. But then everybody like in hot pits in grid 
was so happy the entire they're like dude this is amazing like like people pointing up at the ceiling of of the grid the entire time like this track rules <laughs> seriously man like you, you don't remember like when you're on the racetrack you don't remember how miserable you were five minutes ago in the hot pits so it's something uh here at Thunderhill. Um yeah. we have three covered paddock awnings in the okay. east paddock and then two covered paddock awnings on the west paddock. And like it's one of those things, like again, from a business standpoint, hey, how do I how do I generate revenue off of this? You can't. Yeah. No. But at the same time, dude, this is awesome. Like, how does not yeah. every racetrack have one of these or two of right. these or five of these? Like it's awesome. It just makes the experience so much more pleasant. Yeah, if I was if I was the king of the world, um, I mean, I would build a giant steel frame roof over every hot pit because it's because ju- it's just the, it's that good. Like, it's that good. It, it literally is the best. And then it, if you're it, really smart, you put solar panels on top of it and it pays for itself. There you go. Yeah, literally just cover in solar panels and then turn the lights on until midnight every night. And like it's the hangout place and it's the place when we pulled into the place, it was full of utility trucks. Right. And and we'd never been there and we're kind of late. Like we had a rough trip going down. That was the trip where I lost multiple hubs on my trailer and two tires and all kind of it was nuts. Um and we get there at like eight o'clock at night and we're going to set up and do tech inspection. And I've never even been to this racetrack. Like we were, we were bare bones bootstrapping this thing. I dumped the merch trailer. My trailer was full to the brim of merch. I pulled uh, the bus over to the area and then we, like found the switch for the lights in the hot pits. And we're like, dude, it's so bright. This whole place is insane. We could do tech right here. <laughs> like everything about it was just like, it was just like, there was, it was an impressive facility that seemed like it had been forgotten and ignored for a few years, even though it hadn't been, but like it had a little bit of like, okay, it needs a little bit of maintenance, but like, wow, what a place. Like it was just, it was neat. Like little things that people who like from a participant standpoint that you'll never know. So every building on that property was built specifically to Laney spec. I want it to be able to sustain 200 mile an hour winds. I believe that. Yeah. Every building is overbuilt. And like the building that, that, um, 1516 on, I think it's 1516. It's been a while. Um, the event center, it's like Mm -hmm. 34,000 square feet of just open, like floor plan. And there's a bar and a, like, uh, Scott Boswell's, uh, I, I think he's Michelin star or he was close up, you know, really high end chef designed the kitchens in that building and kitchens nuts. They're huge. And that building never gets used. It's crazy to me. They, they, they were they were trying to feed the utility workers out of it, so they were using it that particular weekend. Um, and so we're and, and the door that we were going to use was the back door to the kitchen because we had like access to the event center to like sleep people in. Yeah. So we had people like sleeping in the events in this gorgeous event center. And like there, it's 5 a.m. Somebody would come in and just like use this in, insane facility to like cook a bunch of ham and eggs. Um, like the night, the morning we're going to leave, we're like, where's Grant? And Grant had found himself a dark closet to sleep in. And we couldn't find him for half an hour because we're like, there's that many rooms and closets in the event center. It was so big. <laughs> Dude, the upstairs yeah. event center closet was, I don't know. 
1500 2000 square feet that ended up being my office like yeah. nobody the place nobody is so big that building it was so big yeah and, it's, it, and and the cool balcony that overlooks like the 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 final turn on the track and stuff like there's a lot of cool things about that that event center but how did that first indycar race go like you you guys it was a new track where you were there at the time right I was not. I oh, you weren't. Um, okay. I was team. Hey, IndyCar is not a good idea, and oh, no. so um, I left uh, as the IndyCar thing was coming together because there was there were some elements of it that I wasn't like. Hey, look, they're pitching this, and that just doesn't seem like it. Like correlates with reality and uh you know in this business you guys know hey your name and your reputation are kind of everything hey Mm -hmm. i I don't know that i want my name attached to this so i'm gonna i'm gonna politely and silently dip out and figure out what my next thing is gonna do and uh so uh right before you know as the indycar thing was coming together with um the promoter and everything like that we we left uh there was I think five or six of us that all left about the same time. And um, I was fully prepared to take six months, a year off and just kind of recoup. I think folks that work in at at racetracks, I think you um, you're constantly uh, managing this state of burnout, right? You're at the racetrack so much to where uh, people can't conceive like, having a bad day at the racetrack, but if you're there every day for years and years and years, it's still work. Right. And it's still something like that. So, um, you know, years of 60, 70 hour weeks, uh, Hey, I I just need a break. I need to recoup and recharge my batteries and, and find my passion again. Um, and I, like I said, I fully, fully expected to take a few months off and like two days after, uh, Mitch called me to come up, uh, interview up in, <laughs> in Kentucky. Well, all right, well, I'll, I'll come up there. Yeah. Uh, and you were there for nine years, nine years. Uh, I convinced my wife to move to Kentucky with a six month old. Uh, mm-hmm. we, uh, moved up to Bowling Green in the National Corvette Museum uh, while that project was still dirt and got to build a second racetrack, which was a lot of fun, um, yeah. especially with, hey, hey, we learned a lot of what to do and what not to do in New Orleans. We're going to apply that here. Um, I I still I still genuinely believe that the uh, the squiggly line of asphalt of NCM, that is one of the best racetracks in the country, if not the world. Um, I, I love that place, um, have probably 30, 40,000 laps around that place and, and mm-hmm. it, it never gets boring. It's such a technical and challenging place that it just never gets boring. Um, worked with a lot of really, really good people developed, um, really proud of the guardian, uh, fire safety tow, uh, the FBF corner worker team that we developed there. Yep. Um, yep. I, I feel like we had a really, really good team of folks that, uh, could, you know, uh, I think as a track operator versus an event operator, um, you can tell the good, the folks that have everything that know what they're doing, uh, versus the folks that are still trying to get it figured out. Um, if you can just hand us a schedule and tell us, Hey, we want this to be time certain, and then just trust us to run it. Um, mm-hmm. that's the, that's the marker of a, a good event and b a good track staff. And I feel like we develop, we could deliver on that 95 to 99% of the time. Yeah. I was really impressed with the, uh, with the safety team there. The few years that we ran, I think we were in three years or two years. I don't, I don't even remember. 
two. I think um, COVID COVID debated us. Yeah. Oh, that's right. We lost the first one. Yeah. The first, the, we were supposed to go there in 2020 early and then, uh, yeah, we did 2021, 2022. And then this year got, got, uh, damaged by the potential Watkins Glen and then Watkins Glen happened. So we're going there in two weeks. Yeah. Um, so yeah. And NCM was always a great event for us too. And that staff was great to work with except for after the tornado, like we didn't have a tower. The first year was great. No tower. Not as fun. <laughs> Making that place well, work. What was that no like? <laughs> Holy moly, man. So there like, was also with... like a, a lack of running water and facilities for people to, you know, go yeah, yeah. To. That was hard. dude. We didn't have water. We didn't have electricity for a long time. Um, we were able to, because, you know, it guy, we had this like double redundant, you know, backbone built into the uh the internet and the networking there like we were able to like the day after the tornado yeah everything's linked back up all the buildings can talk to each other and we can go back to like doing computer things hooray uh but man no power no yeah. uh, right after the the tornado so the very last garages garages c and d which is where most groups like grid life ran tech out of that was mm-hmm. our office for I don't know, four months, five months. And and we just ran the place in the middle of December with a generator and like propane heaters out of those garages to, to try to um, just maintain the schedule that we had built and be able to deliver as much as possible of, as to what we had committed to. Right. So when we talk to any group like grid life or anything like that, like, Hey, we, you know, people don't realize I think how many conversations that that we have with you guys into hey this is what we're trying to do this is what we need these are all the details to all this can you guys deliver and mm-hmm. we say yes and then a tornado hits and we're like man we committed to all this stuff how do we you know what do we have to spend what do we have to buy what do we have to do to be able to still deliver on this or do we have to start having really hard phone conversations to say, hey, look, I know we committed to this, but look, our, our current situation does not, you know, uh, does not really afford us that. So um, there was a lot of that. There were really a lot of really hard conversations, a lot of really hard decisions that got made. And I feel like considering the hand we were dealt, we, you know, we delivered on a really halfway decent year that year. Yeah, I thought, I mean, uh, we were in April, so we were pretty early on in the year, but um, the big event tent, that was great. Worked out great. Uh, you guys had like a semi-permanent tent set up at the time by the cart track. Um, and as far as, uh, like, as far as my perception went, like the event was, it was totally rad, totally fine. Like timing and scoring was out of this little tiny trailer. That was a little harder. Um, right. Race control was out of a RV. Like that was a little harder, but other than that, like it went really well. So, um, and they, and those people didn't even complain. They were like, man, these people just got hit by a tornado and they're letting us use this racetrack. This is awesome. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, no complaints realistically. Like you guys were dealt a a rough hand there. That's a, that's a, that's, that was not fun. I I think that's the hard part as a racetrack and, and that's the, I guess the divergence right between the, Hey, I'm going to have my racetrack hat on versus my event manager hat on. Right. Um, 
how, how do we under promise and over deliver and how do we under how do we do that when we're dealt like we don't have all of these resources all these tools in our toolbox got taken out and we don't have access to them now so how do yeah. we do this and the the group of people that that are are still there for the most part you know uh uh, like it was just Herculean the the amount of effort that everybody put in to be able to to deliver on that. Yeah. So yeah. I I think now I'm interested to hear about the transition to California. But uh, first, let's take a little break and hear a word from our sponsors. Mm. And we're back. So um, you I heard you say something. Um, in the introduction of the show, which was uh, you made your way to Thunderhill as the track manager and um, I, like soon to be or the successing C- CEO of the track. Tell me about that. Yeah, so yeah. Um, the uh, Thunderhill Raceway Park, if uh, folks don't know, is owned by the San Francisco region SCCA. It's a subsidiary, so they're separate and all that kind of fun stuff. But essentially what it was was, hey, look, um, 30 years ago, there was this concern like, hey, Laguna and Sonoma are both great properties, but there's some concern like Sonoma's in this prime real estate market to where we don't know if that's going to be there forever because that real estate is going to be worth a lot of money for someday. And Laguna is, you know, their um, ownership with the county of Monterey is really well documented as to how tumultuous that has kind of been. So, Hey, if we want to continue road racing and we want to ensure that we have a road race venue to go to if these two places go away we need to build our own place and the san francisco region was in such a a a great place to where they had the money um and they decided hey we're going to pull the trigger we're going to build thunder hill um they hired david vaden who has you know been here since the beginning um he's the current ceo and um built this incredible incredible facility incredible business um doing well to manage the state of california and all the regulatory laws the secca region and all the you know the politics that come with anything involved with the secca and um build this this incredible place that hey look we know what we are we're the grassroots facility to make sure that you know the san francisco region scca always has a place to go road racing and we are always serving the grassroots racers to make sure that people have a place to come play with their race cars or their street cars or whatever and uh i am a extremely fortunate in that I'm getting to come in on 30 years of somebody else's legacy and, you know, just put the hat on and say, yep, it's a successful place. We're going to keep being successful. So, um, (laughs) it's, it's really great for me. Right. So to, to have this kind of opportunity, but the amount of work and the amount of, um, you know, just relationships and, and everything that have been built over the last 30 years has been really, really incredible until, to, to, like I said, we're at 600 days worth of, of rental per year across the four surfaces. And, you know, our East track, which is our three mile track is the original circuit, uh, is rented 345 days a year. It's so incredible. Many. Um, so, so wh- just, when, when isn't it rented? 
Christmas. Uh, Christmas. <laughs> uh, and then there, you know, the summers here. Uh, I've, I'm like currently it's this kind of funny thing I'm having with the staff right now is we're kind always trying to one up each other on whose summers are worse summers mm-hmm. in new Orleans or summers in Northern California. Yeah. Uh, so we'll see 110, uh, 115 degree, uh, summers here days here so the summers you know july august get really sparse like um, actual actual heat not heat index actual heat so that's my wow, argument that's right so like the heat with the humidity in new orleans there's no way it's worse than that right i mean so, it almost couldn't be it's got to that's like the worst place in the world I, that's my opinion but we'll see yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well um the yeah the amount of rentals it's like it's it, like there's there's a little bit of weather in the winter time but not much but like that's a staggering amount of operating days it, it is and and that creates its own set of challenges right so um you know in a place like ncm where our business was really diversified between uh we had our experiential business our driving club business our rental business our sponsorship yep. business uh where at thunder hill it's just rental and sponsorship that's it um but if you consider from the event manager side right like hey i'm going to show up there and i'm going to be there for two or three days and i have all of these details that i need to make sure are covered for my event to go off without a hitch and to be able to deliver on that as a racetrack as a single staff of you know from an administrative standpoint you know we have about 46 employees total across the safety flagging administrative staff but yeah. the you know the core administrative staff there's you know seven or eight people um to be able to deliver 300 and however many days of unique event needs is truly incredible that that's really nonstop. That's nonstop. Every day there's a new thing, you know? Yep. Um, as far as, uh, like comparisons to, so the first couple of tracks that you like quote unquote worked at, uh, they were brand new going into a place that's like established and stuff. What are the hurdles as far as like stepping into that business versus stepping into a business that like literally hasn't existed? Um, there's a few things. So from, um, a leadership standpoint, right? So when you're there from dirt to operations, there's no, um, prove yourself, that's needed, right? You don't have to come in and say, right. Hey, I understand this business. I understand what the corner worker's doing or the trash guy's doing or whatever. Um, when you come into a, an established business and it's, it's a balance that I've tried to find here is that, Hey, look, um, I think it was the, the last grid life event. Um, I came to you guys and said, Hey, my trash guy called in. Do you have anybody that can do it? And in the meantime, I was running around the paddock pulling trash and throwing, you know, throwing <laughs> yeah. trash away in the in the dumpsters to where that experience and that kind of, hey, I'm not afraid to do that kind of stuff doesn't translate to the new place. So you have to come in and say, look, man, I'm not afraid to move barrier. I know how to work heavy equipment. I'm not afraid to pull trash. I can help in the in the store. I can help in the grill. I can help in marketing. Um yeah. That's actually, that's been really, really tough to be able to come in and say, Hey, look, I deserve to be here. I know, you know, I'm young or whatever. Um, but 
that compared to, um, like I said, that, that from the ground up, um, the other thing that's been really difficult is, you know, when you build a place and when everything's dirt, you you know, where all the bodies are buried, you know, um, you know, somebody calls you over the radio and says, Hey, we're out of minor waivers. Where are the minor waivers? And you know, Oh yeah. Yeah. Second shelf, this closet in this building, they're there. Cause I, I put that. them there. Yeah. Cause I put them there. Right. Yeah. And, and I don't have <laughs> yeah. that. And that's been really, really fun. I put them there before the tornado put them in the neighbor's yard. But, <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, adjusting to, um, you know, that, that, you know, being just rental, there are a lot yeah. of, um, a lot of renters and every renter represents a relationship, right? So the relationship that we developed with, with you guys and bringing good life to NCM, um, we have, uh, we have a hundred and I think it's like 186 of those relationships that we have to maintain and, and constantly be working on throughout the year. And so, and everybody has their idiosyncrasies and their, and their little quirks and, and you, you know, you, you just have to, um, know those things, right. If, if it it always feels bad, if like, you know, Adam or Abe, you know, you guys have to remind me of a, Hey, don't, don't forget. We have this one corner worker that needs to come off early at this point, you know, or, or we have this one staff or these rollers that we want to do. If you don't remember that, there's that perception of, man, you don't, you're just not listening. You don't care. And to be able to do that across 180 something renters, you know, it just, it takes a lot of time and um, organization to be able to do that. Versus like an NCM where you probably had what, 65, 70 renters, something like that. Uh, And NCM, you know, not to, not to take away from there, but you know, there's the, the whole Corvette and experiential program to where you're meeting up to 40 new people every day and you have to impress them and, and give them the racetracks feel all all the time. And um, I I thought it was funny, like listening to uh, listening to some of the podcasts from CMP and everything like that. You get these people who are, um, who are, Hey, look, this is the way we do things. And because you don't do things the way we're used to, that's foreign to me. Therefore it's wrong. Um, <laughs> and that's not always like a problem. It's just kind of always how it is. We're like, okay, we're just going to have the first time we're there. We're going to have to expect there to be problems. NCM actually was probably the place we had the least problems because they like all of your staff in 2021 was like, all right, how do you do things? And like, we just told them how we did things and they were like, sounds good. Let's do those things. As like an that's example not, of yeah. a thing that we do, that's not, I don't want to say it's like overly unique, but um, the, the grid life media team typically will do like uh, stills and rollers on the track surface after the track goes cold on Friday and Saturday nights. Yeah. And that's or at like lunch or in the morning it's or pretty yeah, tons normal. Of um, but like often, not not as specifically at CMP, but like often the track is like, you want to do what? No, no, no. The track <laughs> yeah. is cold. 
Yeah. yeah. And, and th- those kinds of things, like it, how do we, um, it, it's easy for the, like, Hey, if I'm the guy selling you racetrack time, it's easy for me to say, yeah, man, that's super easy. Oh, shucks. Right. Well, but, and like, it's, to- some of it probably was a fact that like we had a little bit of a, of a, like a relationship via text message or emails, or, uh, it seems like you've listened to our dumb show for a long time. So you like had some inherent trust, but like, Ed at CMP is like, who are these kids? <laughs> right. The the funny thing is that we've also been to the been to tracks where the opposite is true. Where like, if yeah. Adam said, "Hey, I want to do a human sacrifice on the star finish line while drift is hot," they'd be like, "All right, cool, let's do it." I could kill someone at Gingerman and get away with that. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> but but yeah. it, it, honestly, it's a balance, right? And like translating yeah. that to a team of 40 other people to say like, um, uh, you know, hey, this is okay. I know that this is the box we normally operate in, but this is okay because we as an industry have to change. And I think understanding that um, our business as recreational motorsports or grassroots motorsports has to make some sort of adjustments. Um, You guys have been around this long enough to where, you know, we aren't super far removed from if you wanted to get on track, you had two options. You could do an SCCA school or a Skippy school and that was it. And the accessibility to racetracks has happened so rapidly that the operators haven't adjusted to that customer service model. Like we're, we're a service industry. Racetracks are a service industry. We're, we're serving you food, you know, for, for, you know, as an allergy, like we, we have to be able to be flexible uh, while maintaining that consistency to where people expect, you know, safety and flagging and all, all that kind of stuff to happen in a very specific way. But we need to be able to be flexible to make, you know, the, the grid life model work versus the SCCA model or the, you know, whoever model, like, Hey, we, we right. need to be flexible enough to be able to, to accommodate everybody. Yeah. When we started renting Gingerman in Oh four, like, I think there was like three public DEs that year. We, we were actually like at Gingerman, Chris and I were at Gingerman on Wednesday night or Tuesday night, Tuesday night. We had, we were at a township meeting after that. We had a meeting at the track. We were at a township meeting trying to defend our right to throw a grid life. And then uh, we had, we were like digging around in the office for like calendars and like the 2004 calendar. Like we, I think we had a Tuesday and there was like four DEs that year. And it was like speed ventures, uh, NASA test day. And like one of them, you had to like call Chris Shaftsma who was like, is actually like a friend of mine now, but you had to like call him. He was like this SCCA dude who rented the racetrack with his friend Jim one time or something. <laughs> so dude. yeah, it was like nothing you couldn't do. You couldn't get there. Like you couldn't, do it. It was like a Porsche club weekend, but you had to like be a Porsche club member. But like the, the market was so much smaller than too. like the car, like general cars were trash. Like everything nowadays is trackable. Um, so, I mean, it's good and bad. It's just such a different time than it was 25 years ago. So, so I, I think the biggest piece that like really makes me laugh. Right. Um, so like for track day organizers or any kind of event organizers, um, your life gets exponentially easier if you befriend a corner worker and a safety person. Oh, yeah. right. 
it's not about the it's so bad it's not about the administrative staff if you can go out and befriend a control person or uh you know a grid worker or something like that and then like the person who runs the fire truck or the safety truck you Mm -hmm. get your events get so much easier to run because they're like yeah yeah yeah, he's a good dude we get it you know yeah that's the kind of thing that you just you have to do nowadays absolutely the only reason that we got some brutal was done because the the lead worker was like, yeah, as a rat, everybody else hates him, but they're the best. Right. <laughs> so, like, it, like race control. Dustin thought we were rat, and he was the only one that matters. <laughs> Dustin's a good dude. Yeah, that's, Dustin's that's the awesome. Best. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the the uh, you know the, the the president might be fighting us for an, another ten thousand bucks, but like as long as Dustin thinks I'm a good dude and we like do and we work together well, like the event on track wise goes well, you know. So right, yeah. and, and so like I I don't know that like you guys realize it, like um, you know I I don't think we've ever really talked about it with like you guys or Chris or anything like that, like from a racetrack standpoint, the two questions that we get all the time, like constantly are, how do I get on the racetrack? Which eventually people ask how they can rent the racetrack or B we get so many people. I'd say we probably get four to five people a month that call and say, Hey, I want to rent your racetrack and I have 5,000 people coming and we've, we're going to make this much money and we're going to serve beer and we're going to do all these kinds of fun things and, and like have these like really whimsical ideas. And we're, we're like, yeah, okay. Until you prove that you can actually deliver on that. That's really hard to do by the way. Super hard to do. I don't know if like grid life, you guys as a staff realize how hard your journey was in the initial years because of how many phone calls racetracks get like that. I did not realize that at all. Like, Hey, if you, if you called me and like in a vacuum, I didn't know what was going on and you told me everything that grid life was doing. I'd like, Oh, okay, dude. Yep. We hear this a few times a month. When are you renting? Do you have money? Are you going to put a deposit down? Like Mm -hmm. it it gets a a little cynical and that's our bad as an industry. But at the same time, like, I don't realize that you, I, I don't think you guys realize how much of an uphill battle you guys fought to have as much success as you guys have. The, the, and like the person who's, to do that the first time who has not done that doesn't realize that to do that well you have to you have to lay out a full site map you have to have plans for uh what happens if everybody comes at the exact same time you have to have entrance and egress plans you have we have an emergency activation or emergency evacuation plan an incident action plan like literally we were handing township board the other day we're handing them like 60 page documents we're handing them a 20 page map document with all the different elevations and all the different like campsite layouts and all these things to do it right you're putting just a hundred grand into people and planning and people don't realize that you can't just wing it when you've got more than a thousand people you can wing a thousand people but you can't wing five thousand people people die and there's like not enough toilets and like all of a sudden everybody's got like i don't know i watched like, that documentary <laughs> on woodstock 99 Woodstock 99. I was just about to say that. Yeah. Like, yeah, man, yeah, I saw you can't that do thing. <laughs> yeah, and they weren't even winging it. They were like, <laughs> they were paying for 50,000 people, hoping for 500,000 people. You know what I mean? Like, they were doing it. Like, so many people think you can wing a 5,000 person event, and they don't realize that it takes you $300,000 to put on a $300,000 event. 
Like it's right. so much work. Even the CMP event that we just did, like, yeah, it brought in a good amount of money and it spent the exact same amount of money. Like these things are so hard to put on, like just to put on, like even with a bare bone staff and with all this like bootstrappy, you know, don't, don't get extravagant kind of effort. Like it's so expensive and to do it right, to keep people safe and to have all these plans and to communicate with the tracks that, you know, you don't have like, you know, buttons, you know, screwing things up to communicate with the sheriff and the fire department and like everything. Like it's just so much, work. it's so much work. Well, so. and, and that's the hard part, right? So like we, we talk internally and like, Hey, what's the best relationship I can develop with one of my customers is like, Hey, if I can get to a point where we can have a conversation and one of us can say no and mm-hmm. it be okay. I trust them enough to say, if they're saying no, they're not saying no because they don't want to do it or they don't understand it. They're saying no because they legitimately can't deliver on this. That is the best like track to renter relationship that we can achieve, right? Like when we trust each other enough to say, Hey, I want to do this, this, and this. And I say, I can do A, B, but I can't do C. And you say, yeah. okay, no problem. You know, and, yeah, you, and we you don't want to throw a Woodstock 99. You don't want that to happen. Right. Because like, that's going to reflect that on the racetrack too. If you can't, if if somebody brings in too many people and like you, you're not ready, you can't let that happen as a facility either. You know, it's got to be done right. Everything has to be done right. You got to be able to fulfill all the promises to the spectators and whoever bought the tickets. And it's all got a like best weekend ever on the back end. And if that's not planned for, like that's bad for everybody. So I, I think that yeah. that right there, right. What you said right there, we lose sight of, right. What, um, when we put a registration link out or any kind of marketing piece out, what promises are we making to our customers? Right. Mm-hmm. And, sure. I think a lot of people, A, don't realize, hey, when we do this, we are making X, Y, Z promises. And then B, can we deliver on X, Y, Z promises, right? And and I don't think people, um, in my experience with especially like um, folks that are new to renting the racetrack and hosting events and everything like that, people don't do math that way. Um, you know, we were kind of texting a little bit and the amount of short-term, long-term math that we do every day at a racetrack (laughs) is insane. Like, Hey, yeah, short-term, this is the right call, but long-term is this really the right call? And, and just constantly trying to find that balance of, um, this is a really tough business for all involved. Um, and if we make things too transactional and we lose the passion in this process, we've lost. So yeah. how, how do we deliver on the promises that we've made and understand that the promises that we've made have, have come from a place of passion, you know? Yeah. yeah a lot of racetracks like hit us up and want us to just, Oh, can you just do what you do at Gingerman and Lime Rock and, uh, Alpine at, uh, at, uh, and PPIR or whatever, like, and what you did at Road Atlanta, can you just do that by us? And we're like, no, we just can't do that. Like, it just, can't, it's not a thing that can happen everywhere. It Dude, shouldn't have even happened. Model. Yeah. It shouldn't have even happened at some of those places. <laughs> so, like, uh, it, did you, honestly, did you guys go into Lime Rock thinking it was going to be as awesome as it turned out to be like that? Was- I, I, I drove there in a, in a sheer panic, like literally like, terrified 
Cause we didn't know how many people were going to come. It was still a first year and we were like way behind the eight ball. Uh, we didn't expect it to be as good. And it was, it ended up being like one of our favorite events ever. I had this exact same feeling last two weekends ago at CMP. Like we're driving to CMP and I'm like, man, I know we got a big cash outlay. We're getting close. We're like, we're getting close. I sure hope some people show up and good grief. They freaking showed up. It was all the road Atlanta spectators from years ago. And they were like, man, this is a great venue. Love this place. Uh, the track didn't expect it and stuff like that. Like it was, it was a, it was a lot of like audibles of like, Nope, we got to rent out the car track so we can park people there. And cause it's going to rain. But, uh, largely it was a, it, it was a really well-planned event. Charlie and Trisha did a great job. Big picture. We had a, you know, we had a brand new facility that we had never been to. We had a lot of new crowd that we hadn't met, but, uh, it went really, really well. But that first year at anything, the first year of PVIR was terrifying. First year at Lime Rock's terrifying. But, Your uh, first year, right? Like, I feel like you have, like, at a multiple of, like, 5X, you have way more variables than constants. Whereas oh, yeah. two, yeah. that inverses, right? And, yeah, you, and so, you, you know where you want to, like, plug things in, too. You're not like, oh, man, the, the, I can't, where am I going to put all this stuff, you know? Right. These are yeah. the tools I have in my toolbox. And now I know which ones work and which ones don't. And this is where I yeah. can put them. Yeah. I look back at the, at like 2016 to 2019 road Atlanta. And I don't know how, like we were so green too. I don't know how it even happened. Like I literally don't know how those events actually happened. I don't know how we pulled them off. So love and passion, man. Yeah. I, I literally don't know how they happened and they happened like, they were like really good and big and fun. Uh, I don't know how they happened because we were like, so everything was, so it was like two lifetimes ago, you know, grid life years are like, I don't know, dog years, maybe. Uh, Yeah. I think they they, they are. They're seven years. Every grid life year is seven years. Man, like looking back at, uh, you know, when I decided that I was going to leave NCM and like, like that felt like three seasons to me, but it was almost 10. Like, it's just, I don't know, it, it gets to a point where it all kind of runs together and, and you're in this constant state of, um, I, I think that's one thing that um, I'd like to get better at is um, celebrating the wins, right? And I think we all can probably be better at that is like when something goes extremely well, like make yourself stop and say, yeah. holy shit, man, that went really well. I think know? Adam and I tend to do that in the moment. Like when we were at Lime Rock, I was like, Adam, this event slays. And then on <laughs> on Monday, it's like, all right, we got to do that. We got to like do this and do this and do this better. I, I also was like looking at the budget and I was like, this event slays and it loses 20,000 bucks. <laughs> but, but see, it's year one, but, man. Uh, year five, that's a hundred well, yeah, I mean, black event, you know, you don't, you don't, you don't factor partnership dollars in. You like hope, you hope that that's like not the money you have to use, but like, it was a great, like if we could replicate that exact event with the same amount of people, the entire rest of my life, I'd do it every year. Um, <laughs> vibe also means vibe means so much. Like it's not always about like, does this completely make sense on paper? Like sometimes it's like a, what's this place like to be at? Like, what did it feel like to be at that event? And I think, I feel like we got most of that at CMP. Like the vibe was really good. Um, it was better than I figured it could have ever been actually. But yeah, that Lime Rock vibe. Oh man, there's something about that place. So yeah, it, the, It's the, so much history. And I, I think you guys are going to, 
like recreate that at the Glen at Laguna. Like I, I'm really, really excited for this year's schedule and nervous um, about them. No. I hear you're building a car. What? So personally, what are you, what are you doing motorsports wise? You used to have a Corvette, you had a BRZ. Wait, like, let's what are you let's doing talk about the, uh, the Corvette specifically, because I, you, you did the thing that so many people do, which is, build a car, like almost get it done. Perfect. And then like at the last minute, you're like, man, fuck this thing. And you sell it. He did the same thing with his BRZ. It like an ITB beat BRZ and it sounded dope and they sold it. <laughs> the, the further you go back in the history, the more often you see that there's a trend. Um, so the, the C5 was, um, it, it was actually um, like, Hey, how, how do we break street mod? That was the idea. Mm-hmm. Right. So how, how do we, how do we do that? And grid life street mod, yeah. right. Grid life street mod. How, how so do we you, show so you up? Wanted to be, you wanted to be Jackie Ding and Ryan Matthews. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. so how, how do we show up and just like leave the weekend with whatever results we have and people say, Hey, that car's broken. It shouldn't be here. And, mm-hmm. and you know, we got 90% there. Um, you know, that car uh, consumed, uh, you know, um, the original build was pretty, pretty mild. It was uh, a cam, a wing and a splitter. And we were doing uh, two tens at NCM. And so, you know, Hey, look, having Jackie show up, Hey, you and, know, uh, uh, you know, GLTC does like two thirteens, right? Yeah. Yeah. I know. <laughs> Those are, uh, so like Adam and I were talking about it uh, earlier today, like people who, um, armchair race on the internet just don't know how fast these people are in these GLTC cars car makes 240 horsepower and it's on street tires and it ran a 213 at NCM dude the amount of anxiety the amount of anxiety over the years of being run down by a GLTC winning formula car is very real like oh my god I can't (laughs) spend all this money and have all this horsepower and then have Manicherry run me down you know, in a session in a 200 horsepower GLTC car, I can't do it. Yeah, I, just, I don't have that in me. Um, mm-hmm. and, and so we we went a little we went a little stupid with it. You know, it was a uh, um, 13 and a half to one straight ethanol, 715 wheel horsepower, 9,000 RPM engine. Good grief! Uh, uh, yeah, um, it, it still has some. Good cor- it still has some quirks that needed to get worked out to where, you know, at really, really high RPM, evidently the engine was vibrating so much that it was causing uh, coil issues. We were How literally big was it? Uh, 428 and a half. Oh, that's a big motor. Um, we were literally shaking coils apart. Um, hmm. And so there were some little things, you know, this big overbuilt transmission ride tech had these like crazy, you know, shocks built for it and everything like that to the two way rule and everything. And, um, you know, thankfully it got to a point where, um, Hey, we're moving. I don't need this thing anymore. And you know, the, the build up to it had been almost two years, um, and an embarrassing amount of money. Uh, and, and so, you know, Hey, look, th- this thing, you know, the, the fellow that bought it is going to do some really cool stuff with it. And he's going to do some grid life events and everything like that. And so Cthulhu will, will live on. And I'm excited to see that thing actually turn, 
turn a wheel in, in its current state. Um, but it, it was a, a tool for a job. Um, it's very much a car that was built to run two to three laps at a time. And then if it, if you ran lap four, the thing would melt. Um, what's, uh, what's our street mod NCM record currently? What did Jackie run? He's got it right. Uh, 208. Seven. Yeah, I thought it was. I thought it was somewhere in that. That's so two nine. And, and so that was the idea, right? So like, hey, look, a cam, some wings and shocks, and I'm at two ten. Man, if we throw three hundred and fifty wheel horsepower, way you more probably could have got it. it. <laughs> uh, we we might be able to get to. And that was the idea. Well, uh, you know, Peachy did yeah. a two oh five and some change at time trials nationals. Well, shit, now I got to be Justin. You know, mm-hmm. so that was the idea, and then it it got to a ridiculous place where like, well, well, could we ever on a street tire get under two minutes at NCM and uh, I don't know. So I I don't have the, I'm not a good enough driver to do that, but maybe, maybe somebody could, but um, uh, you know, the currently I've got a a RX eight, which is a former um, grand am speed source uh, Coney challenge chassis. That is so cool too. So cool, dude. And and I I found a friend uh, down in Dallas, um, one of the G speed guys that had one and that delivered to my house. Like he, he sold me the car and then drove it to my house here in Northern California, which was so cool. Um, and so I'm building that on the exact opposite of what the Corvette was. Hey, I want a stock transmission. I want to be able to use stock rotors. I want all of my consumables to be extremely manageable. Uh, and I just want to be able to run, you know, laps on top of laps on top of laps and not have to think about it. So you're doing a Renesis motor, the OEM stuff? Well, no. Uh, it's a, <laughs> it's a, a bridge-ported, uh, bridge-ported REW, so the FD engine. Um, yep. But NA Bridgeport, fifty millimeter ITBs, um, some crazy header and everything like that. It'll make I don't I don't know if it fits. I haven't really looked. I this is the first car where I'm um, really very much focusing on. Hey, I want to build something that I want, and then I'll just apply it to whatever rule book it applies to. Um, but I think it might fit into Club TR. Um, but it'll be a two hundred and fifty horsepower, twenty five hundred pound street tire car. Okay. Sounds like it might be a TR car. It might be a might be a GLTC car if you take a little bit of power out of it, add some weight. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, something like that. If I run it really heavy, I, I don't know. There's still I'm still trying to figure out the um the math on tire width versus pace, right? So does yeah. you know, going from a two fifty five to two seventy five to a two ninety five, does that actually translate to GLTC pace? And I'm not hundred percent sure that it does yet. We were actually talking about that in uh, in one of our chats the, with Data Scott uh, earlier, and like it doesn't. I don't think it always translates. Uh, I really don't think it does. I think I think there's that like two seventy five sweet spot, and two fifty fives get really close, two ninety fives get really close. But I think like a, they don't always two seventy fives don't always go faster than two fifty fives, and two ninety fives don't always go faster than two seventy fives. And like, where do you lie in the middle? Like, how dialed do you get that car? So. I think that's the other thing that's really, really interesting to the math is um, uh, the uh, the negative percentage in GLTC that the rotary gets is um, c- could be I don't know could be kind of broken. In that, Dude, I like, would love to see NA rotary just just house everybody. 
All right, so so nothing would make me happier. <laughs> I'm eighty percent sure it won't happen, but I'm trying to get the car put together to come run GLTC for Laguna. Well, let's see it, dude. Let's see it, man. I want to see a rotary just up front. Kyle would lose his mind. It would be the best. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. but, but no, I think um, so. The the like the genesis to this car, and I really haven't even talked to him about it. So uh, uh, Drew with. Um, Deft motion, bin yeah, like Tokyo. Yep. So I got to drive his S2000 and yeah, it, it's that package. There's nothing like, you know, it's a cool car and everything like that, but there's no like obscene, like, oh my God, that's super rare, super special. But it yep. is one of the most fun cars I've ever driven in my entire life. Yeah. Simple um, build, just bolt ons and like good suspension and like a neat little body kit and dialed. Yeah. And dialed. And so the only bad thing about that car was I am a large American. And every time I would turn right, my knee would kick the key and turn the car off. So, hey, how do, how do I get this experience in a car I fit in? And the RX-8 kind of fit that kind of fit that bill. And I've always kind of been a rotary guy. Yeah, I think Drew's podiumed in TR a couple of times. Uh, he's been about half a dozen weekends but uh, and and he's always got like the if he's on the podium he's like got the most basic build by far that, that car is better than some of its parts for sure dude and it's just i don't know what it is i know like aaron's driven there's a handful of people that have driven it there's just something special about that like it's just perfect like you just mm-hmm. go out and like run laps and you can run laps for days and it'll just do it and it's, it was just a great driving experience yeah, he's known to build a good S2000. So. Yeah. Yep. Well, I think we did a podcast. What do you think, Abe? I think we did It's probably show. half asleep. It's midnight. Now it's I like got to edit PM. for tomorrow, dude. 5 p.m. by Busby, you know? Yeah. <laughs> uh, how's your dog doing, Matt? It's, you came home to a bad a bad night, I think. Oh, dude. So I have a... <laughs> Everything um, okay? She's she's legit. I think twelve or thirteen years old, uh, French bulldog, and um, mm-hmm. my wife and kid are back in Bowling Green for some like work stuff, and um, yeah, you know you can't work a twelve hour day at the racetrack with a twelve year old dog and come home to a clean floor. Evidently, nope. so nope. so uh, I I still have some uh, mopping and uh, wet vacuuming to do. Well, we should probably let you get to that, but we should definitely do that. We should definitely do this again, and we will. We will figure out when and how to bring Grid Life to Thunder Hill. I think that's going to be a stop for sure. So yeah, right on. Hopefully, we can host you guys, and uh, you know, on the off chance or on the very good chance that I can't get the RX8 together, if uh, you guys need some volunteer help at uh, Laguna, let me know. Well, if you have the weekend free, we're we're going to need you. <laughs> 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 I would love to see you drive as well, though. So thanks, buddies. Um, yeah, man. Thanks, I appreciate appreciate you coming on. We'll. Uh, you want to plug anything? What's the website for uh, Thunderhill? Uh, yeah, thunderhill.com. And uh, if you are an endurance racer, as you guys have done some endurance racing uh, content here recently and want a new challenge, the 25 hours of Thunderhill is always a great option to come uh, come play and free high fives and bourbon from me if you show up. Oh, man. I kind of want the bourbon. I come for the high five, but... <laughs> Uh, that's always that's been a bucket list for a long time. It was like the big endurance, you know. It was like the one. It was the only one. Um, so yeah, see that event continuing. It's been like twenty years. So yeah, you need, yeah. To this year's the twentieth running, and uh, e- even if you're not driving, come come hang out with me for 
36 hours straight at the racetrack. <laughs> yeah. We're talking about, I mean, we've been talking about doing things during that weekend as well. So <laughs> we're, we'll, we'll be at the of these days. Right. Uh, appreciate your time, man. Thank you, guys. See you, dudes. Cool, Bye, buddies. Slip Angle was created by Austin Cabot and Adam Jubay, co-hosted by Derek Yarbrough and production by Abram Schmucker, who mixes all of our terrible audio. If you like the show, please rate us and review us on iTunes and come and find us in the Pits of Grid Live to say hello. Thank you.